Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Sam Silverstein. I have the great pleasure of welcoming Sam to my quest for the best. His mission is to empower people to live accountable lives, transform the way that they do business, and to thrive at extraordinary levels. Global Gurus, in fact, has named Sam Silverstein as one of the world's top cultural, one of the world's top organizational cultural professionals. As a former executive and owner, Sam successfully sold one of his businesses to a Fortune 500 company. Sam is the creator of Pivot, the preeminent course designed to help individuals discover their purpose, mission, and non-negotiable core values. He is the author of 10 books, including non-negotiable, no more excuses, making accountable decisions, no matter what, and many more. Sam lives in St. Louis, Missouri, and is here to talk about his book, I Am Accountable, 10 choices that create deeper meaning in your life, your organization, and your world. Welcome, Sam. Hey, Bill. It is wonderful to be here today. It is so good to be with you. Sam, tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired? I had a lot of people in my life that shared a lot of powerful, positive insights, but my maternal grandfather was a huge inspiration for me. And I remember at a young age, and here's someone who came to the United States at the age of 50, couldn't speak the language with nothing more literally than the shirt on his back and provided for his family, created a a future family that, that has grown out of that. That's just been unbelievable. But I remember at an early age in him seeing the difference between intelligence and wisdom, being smart, being wise. And one of the greatest influences from him is that quest for wisdom, which takes time to to incubate. And it takes patience, which for me is not always the easiest thing, but it was a tremendous influence on me. And it has led me, I believe, into the direction that I've gone. Can you remember something that he shared with you that really struck you as different from the other adults in your life when you had a conversation with him at at some point? It wasn't just a specific lesson or or a, a, a expression or a saying, actions speak louder than words, which my father probably said 53,769 times in my life, but it was his life story that impacted me. This is where where we all have a life story and we have the ability to impact other people through our life story. But his life story was one of being in Germany prior to World War II. And literally his life and the life of his family was in immense danger. And he was able to smuggle his family out of the country into Switzerland and then eventually across the entire country of France onto a boat. And one of the last North Atlantic crossings of the Queen Mary brought my mother, my uncle and my grandparents to this country. And learning of the trials and tribulations of some of the nuance of what went into that entire journey, something that inspired me in such a way that it always has me questioning and looking at how can I make this situation better? How do I keep the commitments that I make to my family? How do I live an accountable life? He, for me, is the example in my life of what accountability really is. And on top of that, the values of hard work and courage and doing the right thing. Also, I'm sure were part of that, part of his lesson and his his example well, Exactly. I was able to see him step it out in his life, which was an inspiration for me to step it out in my life. And what I came to realize was this, and this was one of the big takeaways, but I didn't realize this until much later in life, recently, actually. And that is when I saw what he did, which was basically he kept his relational commitments to his family. 
family. Not a tactical commitment. So tactical commitment to show up at a certain time to do something, those are fine. But the relational commitments like if you fail, I fail. If you succeed, I succeed. A commitment to the values. I'm I'm so excited you brought up the word values because it's such an important part of accountability. A commitment to a safe space, a commitment to stand by you when all hell breaks loose. Commitments, these relational commitments that we don't speak, but we actually we actually step out. And when I thought about him and accountability, I thought this is family. Sure, he would do this, but let's think about business. And then it hit me. In that moment, it hit me. One of the most valuable lessons I've ever had. And that is the expression that we've heard leaders and we've heard people in business, this excuse that they say, this isn't personal, it's business. There could be nothing further from the truth. Every interaction between two human beings is personal. And every business relationship, every business connection, every business interaction, any transaction, it's personal for everyone that's involved. And that's something that that I learned from observing his life and how he stepped it out. And it, it helps me with my clients, help them to understand that everyone that they work with, it's a personal relationship. And if they value those people and they honor and contribute to those relationships, they're going to get a completely different result. Yeah, it makes such a difference. Now, what did you call your grandfather? Was he grandpa? We called him Opa. Learning his lesson and seeing the example of what he did as a, a child is one thing. Can you remember sometime maybe earlier in your career when that kicked in for you and maybe guided you to make a decision as to how you're going to treat someone on your team, maybe in one of your first jobs, or make a decision about how to stand by a client when something wasn't going right? What I observed in my grandfather in particular was a tremendous respect for human beings. And so you could see that in his interaction with people. You, When you observe someone, when we have the opportunity to see, we could be around family members, friends, peers, associates, and we see them interact with other people, particularly people that they don't know, particularly people that may have responsibilities that aren't in the same job category as theirs. Do they approach those relationships, those people, those human beings with respect or with contempt? And a contempt is a pretty strong word, but that's what it is. Yeah. Do you remember a time you were leaning one way because you were feeling impatient or rushed and then you really said, oh, you know what? Opa would do something different here. I can't remember a specific time where that thought passed through my mind, but, but my grandfather influence is burnished into my heart. And so this is something that impacts me all the time. And, and to give you an example, when I show up at a hotel as a speaker and as an advisor to leaders in, in government and organizations, I literally am privileged to travel the world. And when I arrive at a hotel, it's not usually first thing in the morning. It's usually late in the day. I'm tired. I've been traveling multiple flights. It could be halfway around the world. I walk in and I always hear the same thing when I walk in. I'm greeted by the person behind the counter and they'll ask, how are you doing? How was your day? How was your travel? They always ask that question. And I've developed a habit of, in that moment, when I respond, looking them straight in the eye and asking them, how was your day? How's it going for you? Because I truly care about that individual. And that is an example of just a piece of what I've learned through the relationship with my grandfather. I can't begin to tell you how many times that individual behind the counter stops in their tracks and go, wow, I've never been asked that before. Thank you. And so those are the lessons that we carry with us and then hopefully that we're stepping out in our life. Sam, one thing you're known for among business leaders is the second ripple principle. Can you elaborate on this important idea? The idea, and basically that's what we've just been talking about in action. It's that when we decide that we're going to live an accountable life, which means that we're keeping our commitments to people, specifically the relational commitments, not just the tactical, but the relational commitments, that what happens is we're setting down an example. When we live that commitment, when we are committed,
committed to those values when we're stepping that out. And so the people that we come in contact see that and they in that moment have the opportunity to adapt that value, to adapt that philosophy, to adopt it for themselves. And then it impacts the people that they come in contact with. That second ripple principle is me asking that the person behind the counter at the hotel, how is their day going? That's the impact that my grandfather had on me that is now transposed onto the person behind the hotel, in the counter in the hotel. So the second ripple is all about us setting an example through our actions because the value of our actions far exceeds the value of our words. And when we set that example with people in our lives, what happens is they take that on and they can choose to live that same example through the people in their lives. And for any one of us who have ever dropped a stone in a pond or any body of water, we know that it doesn't end with the second ripple. In fact, that person behind the counter in the hotel that you checked into might think to ask the next person he or she sees, hey, how was your day? Or maybe at dinner that night, share with them around the table saying, I had the strangest thing happen to me today. One of the people who came up asked me my day, how my day was. And that's just the most unusual thing. There are those kinds of people in the world. You're you're living walking proof when you adopt that. And leaders need to remind themselves that there are always second ripples to our actions and more so our actions and our examples, even more so than what we say. Exactly. And where the head goes, the body flows. When you're a leader in an organization, it's all eyes on you. And you cannot lead just like you can't parent with the old adage, do as I say, not as I do. As hard as some try. Exactly. And they'll come out and actually say that, which is absolutely ridiculous. The bottom line is that if you're a leader by title or not, there's a responsibility, especially when you have that title. There's a responsibility that comes with that. We have to operate at a higher level, at a higher standard. We're setting the example. We can't slack up. That's part of what comes with leadership. And if we're not willing to accept that, then we shouldn't accept that position of leadership. It's a different perspective because some people will talk about that as the burden of leadership in having to be accountable and think about other people. And really, there's more to it than that, isn't there? It's not just taking on this extra burden and work. There's more. There's actually a transformation that takes place when people really make that commitment. This is the joy of leadership. As a leader, what we end up with is impact and influence. We have the ability to impact and influence an enormous swath of mankind through our leadership. And so I get a phone call and a good friend of mine, who you should probably interview on a future podcast, Mike Domish, is he's so excited. He's an author. He's a speaker. He deals with respect. And anyway, he says, Sam, you're not going to believe this. I just had breakfast with three CEOs and one of them, the word accountability came up. And one of the leaders says, I have more more accountability in my life than I need. I don't need any more. I have a wife and I have an executive assistant. And he knew that I would get excited by that. This guy doesn't get it. As a leader, you're accountable to and you're accountable for every person in your organization when you're the CEO. And yes, that's a tremendous responsibility, but that's a privilege. And you have the ability to impact their lives and through them impact their families and impact the community. We have to value that. Not only that, we have to respect that and make sure that we're honoring it by taking care of those people. I think that there's a large number of managers, leaders, CEOs, 
CEOs who get that. Can you talk about an example of where you have actually worked with a CEO to clarify the privilege and the joy that comes with that level of responsibility and what helped him or her gain it so that they really owned it and weren't just taking it on as another checklist in their responsibilities? See, that's the key. You really hit it, Bill. It's it. This is not a leadership technique. This is not something we do just because we think it's going to yield something on the bottom line. Accountability is not about manipulating people to do more for you. Accountability is creating that environment, that workplace culture that inspires people to be their best and to choose to be accountable. It's not just someone walking around with a note that says, with a note that says, oh, be sure to ask everyone how they're doing today or how their spouse fill in the blank Linda is doing. No. And you know what? We start being an, a, a conscious competent. We start having to think about what the right things are to do. But when we truly believe something and we learn to believe it, then what happens is it becomes second nature. We become unconscious competent. It's who we are. So the bottom line is, do you care about people? And if you care about people, then you realize you're leading people. You're responsible for their success. And when you do that, you're going to you're going to commit to them different. You're going to lead them different. So the example you asked about was a particular leader that came up to us after I, I do what we call an accountability roundtable. We go into communities, clients bring us in, and it's our way of giving back. And we have leaders from business, government, education, healthcare, a not-for-profit, and we literally come together for a couple hours and talk about accountability, and they want my message in their community, and that's why I do it. There was a leader that came up to me afterwards from an organization in the community. The leader that came up to me, his name is John, and what John said to me was, Sam, we don't have any values. Can you help me with that? Now, the reality is, looking back, here was a leader that led with very significant values, but he hadn't taken the time to identify and codify them. And I said, of course, we can help you with that. And so we started a process that ended up being a year-long relationship. But in the very first meeting with him and his team, we led them. We facilitated a conversation that identified their set of what I call non-negotiable core values. And once they identified, these values became the cornerstone of what their culture was all about. Policies are about things. Values are about people. What were a few of those values that he talked about that were uncovered during your process? I don't have those values in front of me to share them with you. I work with a lot of organizations that come up with a lot of different values. So in a different example, I was working with a client halfway around the world. His name, Mr. Homan, and his organization came up with, we helped facilitate them bringing up, creating a list of values. One of their values was teamwork. We worked together to get the job done. We are able to do our best work in collaboration with each other. We provide the resources necessary to complete the task and stand ready to assist others when they face challenges. Success is not achieved alone, but together as a team. Now, that's just one of their values. It explains how they interact with each other. It explains how they work together. They go on in these values to talk about respect and trust and communication. And and what I'll I'll say is that when you describe teamwork, it's not just a word that goes on a poster, but from your description, you could observationally tell whether someone is following that value, value or not. It's not a value unless it shows up. And so this is how it's supposed to, they've defined specifically how it's supposed to show up. See, a lot of organizations are great at saying, okay, one of our values is respect. Well, Bill, you and I would define respect differently. Now, they might be similar definitions, but it would be different. When you define them in detail and it's showing up, when it's in writing,
exciting and you know what it's supposed to be, then you can see it. You can experience it if it's happening, if it's not happening, and you know how to take corrective measures to make sure that it is happening. Absolutely. Now, in your book, you talk about different commitments as well as accountability principles. And one of the commitments that I really love is that you realize your potential and then also help others reach theirs. It's so important to understand that we all have room to grow. How is it that shows up when you make this commitment to recognize that you have to real your own potential? How does that show up in ways that you've observed when people make that commitment? What are some of the behaviors that change? There's 10 relational commitments. And one of those is leading people to their potential. First of all, I can't lead you to your potential unless I'm working on finding mine. I can't give you what I don't have. And so for me, I have to always be striving to be better. Otherwise, I can't help you continuously be better. As a leader, when I can identify and lead you to your potential, then what happens is you're better not just for me, you're better for you. You're better. You're a better spouse. You're better in your family. You're better in your community. But when you are becoming your best self and everyone in our organization is becoming their best self, then our organization by default is becoming its best self. So this is about looking to grow and looking to help the people around us grow. And through that, building a relationship, because when people know that their leader wants them to be their best, is willing to invest in them, they respond differently. And that's also another part of a, part of another commitment, which is committing to all of us and how people need to know that everyone's involved in the company's success or missing objectives and goals. How have you seen that play out when people make that commitment to help themselves and their team and then realizing that as a company, we are a company, we are a group of all of us working toward common goals. What's a specific example of how you've seen a company adopt that and use that effectively. What happens when a leader says, when I succeed, you succeed. When I fail, you fail. Is they're saying that it's all about me and that you're second to me. The reality is it's when you succeed, I succeed. When you fail, I fail, which means the leader is there to support the people. When the leader gets that, it's a different type of relationship and there's a different reaction. So for instance, at Happy State Bank in Amarillo, Texas. Their people, when I interviewed over a hundred people in writing the book, Non-Negotiable, I heard two quotes so many times that I went into the CEO and said, are you prepping your people before I talk to them? Knowing the answer was no, but he laughed and he said, no, here are the two quotes. I would rather die than let Pat down, the CEO. And I work harder here than any job I've ever had. And I love it. You see, what happened was Pat would rather die than let his people down. Pat knew that the success of the organization was not dependent upon him. It was dependent upon the people that he was empowered to lead, and he made it about them. That's accountability in action. That's really powerful. One of the things that I think many people struggle with is also addressed in one of your accountability principles. It's that when you give someone permission to make a decision, you're also accepting that you've given them permission to fail. And that has a lot of implications. Can you break that down for me, please, Sam? So what happens is this. Companies that are innovative and open to change are going to leave the competition behind. The question really becomes, do you create an environment where people are free to express their thoughts and ideas or 
Do you create an environment where people are afraid to express those thoughts and ideas? Because when you create a safe environment where people can speak up, they'll share ideas, innovation, new ways of doing things. And what happens then is you serve your customers better. You build better relationships, both internally and externally, and you move forward. Otherwise, you stifled and you slow down. Brief example, Don Wainwright, former CEO and president of Wainwright Industries, over lunch with me one day, said, we have a suggestion box. Now, I know, Bill, you've heard this before. Suggestion box is not the, the most new creative idea in the world. And so I shrugged my shoulders and I said, cool. He said, Sam, now this is a company with 3,500 employees. We average one suggestion per employee per week. Now think about that. When you get 3,500 ideas every week, the competition cannot keep up with you. And the only way you're going to get 3,500 suggestions, innovations, ideas is to create an environment where people know that they are valued, they are heard, that you care about them, they're not going to be judged. And that creates an organization where accountability is inspired in the workplace. Sam, are you ready for the mic quest for the best lightning round? Absolutely. I've been waiting for this. So at the beginning of the interview, I asked you about someone who influenced or inspired you, and, and you talked about your grandfather, Opa. When you were a teenager growing up, Sam, what's a song that you loved? I don't know that I can tell you a song, but there was a lot of music from Cat Stevens that I sure did enjoy. Your mission is to empower people to live accountable lives transform the way that they do business and to thrive at extraordinary levels. That's a big mission. What's the most effective way you've found to get your word out about your mission each week, especially during this pandemic? I'm constantly writing and my books help get the message out, but I also like to live stream. I get involved with Clubhouse and I get involved with you and your podcast. Do you have a system or tool that you like for helping you stay on track and productive? I use Notion. And I've built out a dashboard that keeps track of everything that I need to do, keeps track of all my values, my unique purpose and mission to make sure that my values, purpose and mission are always aligned with all my activities. What would you say is the best business advice you've ever received? Identify your purpose, your mission and your values and make do you remember sure that who you share that with you or is it a con uh, conglomerate of people? The truth of the matter is I've heard this multiple times through my life, but I watched it in action at Happy State Bank when I was writing that book, and that left an indelible mark. In the last six months or so, what's the best $100 or so purchase you've made? I've probably spent more than that cumulatively, but I would say it's the weekly or yeah, the weekly flowers that I buy my wife. Oh, I'm sure she appreciates that. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I'm constantly working on what it is that I believe, having clarity so that I'm making the best possible decisions. And so it's for me, it's about gratitude, respect, and abundance, which means I have to stop. I have to stop thinking anytime through entitlement, scarcity, or contempt. Well, Sam, one of the things that a lot of business leaders have struggled with when thinking about accountability is that they think that accountability is something that is a punishment. When somebody says in business, typically when they've not really studied this, they use the terms incorrectly and they, it's like a threat. I'm holding you accountable for this now. In essence, saying you've screwed up with this. I've given you corrective feedback. You'd better get it right. And that really isn't how accountability is intended to be used, but it's a, a, a crude misinterpretation. It's so hard to use tools correctly when they're not well understood. Give us the, the 
best understanding you have about accountability so that people can use it effectively and use it to build relationships rather than beat each other up or themselves? Thank you for asking that question. That's maybe the most important question of all. And that's because it gets to the heart of the matter. Accountability is not a way of doing. Accountability is a way of thinking. And specifically, it's how we think about our people. Accountability is not us as leaders trying to manipulate people to do more. Accountability is leadership understanding that they are responsible to their to create this culture that inspires people to want to be their best, that inspires people to choose to be accountable. Accountability is keeping your commitments to people. I'm not talking about the tactical commitments and doing stuff. That's your job description. You should be doing your job. If you're not doing your job, you shouldn't be there. I'm talking about the relational commitments to stand by someone when all hell breaks loose, a commitment to the values, a commitment to it's all of us. When as leaders, we're making, without even saying, but we're making and keeping relational commitments, contributing to the relationships, recognizing that the needs of our people and helping them be the very best they can be, then what happens is they would rather die than let you down. And that's when you create a workplace culture where people are highly engaged, highly productive, and it's a more profitable organization. Win-win all around. Exactly. Well, Sam, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. We started off and you talked about your grandfather who showed such through great examples of hard work, courage, and keeping his word and standing up for the people he cared about, loved, and was committed to what it meant to really be there and gave us a glimmer of the importance of having wisdom and perspective in addition to hard work and intelligence. You talked about the second ripple principle that lets us realize and be aware of how important it is to to realize that our actions speak so much louder than our words and that it continues on with our example to every person that we meet. You gave a great distinction about how at first we need to be consciously competent before it becomes second nature and automatic. You talked about John who came up to you after a presentation at one of your keynotes and said, we don't have any values in our company. And then over the course of a year, you helped them work to define and articulate it so that they actually had values that they understood and can behaviorally observe when they were in action. You talked about the difference and between transactional commitments and relational commitments and how important it is for everyone, no matter what their title is in an organization, to work on strengthening and improving their relational commitments because that makes a stronger company all around. You talked about an example that you worked with, Pat, who's a CEO of Amarillo Bank in Happy State Bank in Amarillo, Texas, and how people kept saying over and over that they love working here and they've never worked harder than anywhere else and they love it because this is what the values of the organization were and how that came through. So for Sam, for these reasons and so many more, I want to thank you again for joining me on my quest for the best. It's been my pleasure, Bill. Sam, before we say goodbye for now, tell us where can we find out more about you and your work so people find out and follow your thought leadership and take that into their organizations and learn from you, whether it's through adopting one of the programs they have or getting books for all of their team members. Where can we find out more about you and your work online? Very simply, my website has hundreds of articles and videos and the books, all the resources, the cultural assessment tool. It is samsilverstein.com or be accountable, beaccountable.com. Sam Silverstein, author of I Am Accountable, the 10 choices that create deeper meaning in your life, your organization, and your world. I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. 
please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.